You know, a number of years back, we went to New Zealand, and it's probably one of the few places in this world where you can be driving along a road and then just turn a corner and almost have to stop your car because you're just simply mesmerized by the beauty of the landscape around you. Rivers and lakes just of glacial water just surrounded by, by mountains that just look just so spectacular. Or perhaps those of you who have watched the film Indescribable, just about the magnitude and the size and the depth of this universe in which we live. And, and whether it be just the, the size of this universe or just the beauty of God's creation, you cannot help but be left thinking, how much greater must God be than just all of this? The one who put all of this together, if this is what he has made, what must he be like? You know, unfortunately, we rarely take him out to actually allow ourselves to be amazed, to allow God to capture our attention. And this, this is my challenge this morning. As we get into chapter 4 of Revelation, John is transported in the Spirit into a heavenly throne room, and there we simply get a glimpse of majesty, of magnificence, of wonder, of awe, of a God who created everything. But even with all of this, we struggle because vocabulary is not able to deal with this. We just don't have the words. We don't have anything that we could say to give justice to who God truly is. So what picture do you have in your mind at this moment of God? What picture do you, do you come to your mind of, of what heaven might be like? And, and so often we think we can actually custom build God. We decide what sort of God we would like, and then we think, well, we can, we can just create that sort of image of him in our mind. And most of us, at least too many people think, or at least like to think, that God is just this non-judgmental God. A God of love. A God that we, I guess, condense down to just one of his attributes. And then we live as if he's just like that. But God has not been made to suit your personal preferences. Because God has not been made at all. God is. God makes. God creates. And I want you to allow this passage just to refocus your gaze, to allow your opinions and your preferences to be reformed back to the God who is. And chapter 4 is a true vision. It is the official authorized picture of heaven given to John by Jesus Christ himself. So allow your breath to be taken away as we read Revelation chapter 4 says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white 
and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third was like the face, like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of these four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and said, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, my prayer today, Lord, is that you would give us a glimpse of who you are. A glimpse of glory, a glimpse of majesty, a glimpse of your awesome power. And Father, it would change us. That it would take us, Lord, and draw us to become worshippers, true worshippers of you. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, true worship is probably one of the greatest needs for both us as individuals but also for us as a church. And sometimes there's a danger that we can put so much emphasis on witnessing or our service for God that we end up overlooking the importance of worship. But true worship motivates evangelism. True worship actually will motivate our service for God, not the other way around. And we discover as we read chapter 4 that heaven is a place of worship where God's people will worship him throughout all of eternity. In fact, that is why you've been created. Your job description, above and beyond anything else, worshipper. That is who you are. That is who you've made to be. And Jesus is giving John and us just a glimpse into his glory to allow us to hear these worshipping creatures. In fact, all of creation who praise and worship God so that we may join with them and worship the one true God. The key word, in fact, the very center of this chapter is the word throne. Mentioned 15 times here, but it's not the throne that should be getting our attention, but the one who sits upon the throne. The one who sits in absolute authority, the Lord God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He must be kept at the very centre of your life, the centre of your worship, your work, your home, the very centre of everything. Because you think, no matter what happens here on earth, God still reigns upon the throne. 
he is in complete control. And he sits on the throne in the very centre of this room. The great symbol of God's sovereign power. But you'll notice, John doesn't even attempt to describe the indescribable. Say that there is no possible human word that could possibly begin to describe what God is actually like. So John only uses comparisons, precious stones. He gives us a picture of just extraordinary splendor, jasper, a clear diamond-like stone, perfectly reflecting light. This is purity and this carnelian, which is a bit like a ruby, which is red, reflecting judgment. Listen, God cannot have sin in his presence. It cannot exist before God. And then there's the emerald reflecting mercy. And this holy God is also merciful. And he brings people into his very presence. This is the Lord who is light. And they are all there. These these, um, precious stones are all there to create this picture of magnificence, of wonder, of mystery. We read actually in Revelation chapter 21, verse 19, there's a description of a future city that is full of God's forgiven people, of God's new creation. And these same stones are also mentioned there. It says the foundation of the city wall was decorated with every kind of precious stones. It goes on to explain and list the different stones that are mentioned there. But the point is this. God is the foundation of everything. Past, present and future. Listen, he is Lord over all. Surely he is the one who deserves our absolute worship. In front of this throne is a sea of glass. It is made of perfect crystal, a further symbol of God's holiness. He is the one who is separate from everything and from everyone else. This picture is very similar to the one that you find in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 22, where it says, There was the likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystal. This is at the very foot of God's throne and surrounding God is God's purity and holiness. It radiates out from this throne. It sits at his feet, at the foundation of everything. It is all around him. But listen, if that is what he produces, if that is what radiates from God, what must be the source of that really like? Words cannot describe. And understanding this is important. It is exciting. It's terrifying. Because this is not a picture of the past, and it's not even a picture of the future. This is also a picture of here and now, because God is reigning in perfect holiness and purity. The same thought is also underlined by the presence of a rainbow that surrounds this throne. But this rainbow is different to any rainbow that you've ever seen before, at least any rainbow you'll have seen on this earth, because it was not just an ark. Unlike the rainbow that God gave to Noah after the flood in Genesis chapter 9 as a sign and a reminder that a time of blessing will follow judgment of sin, this particular rainbow is a complete circle. For in heaven, everything is complete. 
and it creates this wonderful and terrible picture of a son who sits in judgment, surrounded by the very symbol of his own covenant faithfulness to his people. But this promise is given before any mention or before we come to the warnings or the judgments or the terror that we will come to as this world will come to an end recorded in Revelation chapter 6 through to 19. And God is reminding John and he's reminding us that God sits on the judgment throne and he is in complete control and he is surrounded by his own covenant promise. Judgment is about to fall. In fact, judgment is certain, but this rainbow reminds us that God is faithful even as he judges. And this promise is so certain, this promise is so secure that the rainbow that usually appears after a storm now appears before it. This picture of the throne room, this vision of the glory of God is not unique to John. We see it throughout the Old Testament in books like Daniel, in Ezekiel, Isaiah. Each of those descriptions are these heavenly creatures worshipping. And in case you've missed it so far, the main emphasis of anyone that comes into the presence of God, worship. You'll see it repeated over and over and over again in this particular chapter. So John describes these 24 elders, most likely representing the 12 tribes of the Old Testament, tribes of Israel, and then the 12 apostles that were founded the New Testament church. In other words, this is the whole of God's people throughout the ages. And they are seated on thrones. Along with Christ, they are ruling. In fact, they are enthroned because God's people, in a spiritual sense, always already rule with Christ in heavenly places. This comes from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 6. and says, And God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And they are dressed in white. They are wearing crowns of gold upon their heads. Now this should remind us back to what we've been talking about. Remember the seven churches? This is the promise that Jesus has already made to those who've remained faithful to him. So in the letter to Sardis, we are told that those who remain faithful will walk with Jesus. They will be dressed with white because they are worthy. Then in chapter 2 verse 10, in chapter 3 verse 11, the faithful ones are told they're going to be crowned and sorry, they're going to have the reward, they're going to be rewarded with a crown. But it gets even better. Because it's God's redeemed and faithful people who will overcome. And they will be given authority over the nations. And then finally, in chapter 3 and verse 21, we read, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne throne. So it seems that these 24 elders that John saw as they represent all of God's people are ruling with Christ just as he has promised. In fact, this is the way that all of God's redeemed people will one day rule with him. Listen to me, that includes you. If you love and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that includes you. And you will be present with God. You will reign with him and you will worship him forever. And then it gets even weirder, okay? 
In the centre, around this throne, are four living creatures. And John does his very best to try and describe them. They are covered with eyes in front and in back. The first of these living creatures looks like a lion. The second one is like an ox. The third one has got the face like a man. The fourth is like flying eagles. And each of these creatures have got six wings. They are covered with eyes all over, even under their wings. Rosie and I were talking last week about how we tend to overuse the word like. So what I'll say sometimes is, you know what I mean, like. Now, that like at the end is really surplus to requirements, most likely. Likely. Or I'll say, you know, on a hot day, I'll say, it's like, it's like, it's like it's really hot. It's not like really hot, it's just simply hot, isn't it? So we've made a pact to try and, and... Stop using the word like just quite as much as, we, as we, we normally do. Now, I think the reason why I do that so often is partly my Northern Irish background. In Northern Ireland, you, why would you use one word when you could lose at least five? Okay? But perhaps maybe the, the bigger reason for, it, for, using it as, for using it as well, that actually I so often use it when I'm struggling to find the right words to say. I try to fill the gap in with something else. It just gives me thinking time. So I just add extra little words in to try and help me. And it's sort of, in the same way, John seemed to have a similar problem to me. He doesn't even attempt to try and describe God. Because he's, he's actually really struggling to try and describe these creatures that are standing before him. Never mind to describe God himself. So the very best he can do is liken these creatures to something that we have even a hope of understanding. So what are they? Truthfully, we can't be absolutely sure, to be honest. But this picture, these heavenly creatures, certainly a reminder back into Ezekiel in the Old Testament. In fact, they're almost identical to what Ezekiel describes. So who are they? Well, most likely, they most likely represent all that God has created. This lion is perhaps symbol, a symbol of animals. The ox representing domestic animals. The eagle representing the birds. The figure of a man representing humanity. And all these four living creatures just representatives of the natural world. In the same way we talk about the four corners of the These special creatures symbolize God's creation, probably also connected with God's covenant promise to Noah. So what John saw... And what he tries to describe is, the, is all that God has ever created is represented before his throne. And they are all worshipping. They're all worshipping the one who reigns on high. And they're covered with eyes. They're always looking, they're watching, they're searching for ways in which they can serve and they can worship the Creator God and they signify something of the wisdom of God and as they're constantly proclaiming, they're proclaiming the holiness of God as they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is and who is to come which emphasizes the power of God and all, and those who probably know their Bibles reasonably well, will already be thinking of a similar passage back in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, 
when the prophet saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, being worshipped by heavenly creatures who were calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. This means total. It means utter. It means 100%. This is a measure of God's otherness and purity. And Isaiah is devastated. He is devastated as he is confronted with the presence of God because he realizes his sinfulness. And he cries out to God, Woe is me. He is undone. He thinks things have finished. It's a bit like when, when the, you sort of got a, a car windscreen and you think it looks pretty clean until the sun shines on it. And then it just exposes all the dirt and the grime that's been, been built up over time. Likewise, it's only when we see the pure holiness of God that you realize your own sinfulness. And Isaiah's vision prompted him to confess his sins. And as he did, he found himself forgiven. But Isaiah's response is not unique to him. Because the declaration of all of creation in the presence of God is that he is totally and utterly pure. And also how much we need his forgiveness and his mercy within our lives. But listen, as mercy flows, as forgiveness comes, worship rises. Worship increases in his presence. Now, the full effect of this extraordinary vision is hard for us to fully comprehend. It's not just what John sees that makes it so impressive. It's also what he hears. There's lightning. There's rumbling. There's thunder pointing to a God who's full of power and authority. And this description, again, takes us back into the Old Testament, not unlike what Moses experienced as he led out the camp as the cloud of God's glory came and covered over Mount Sinai. Remember Exodus chapter 19 and verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, prepare them, consecrate them today and tomorrow, get them ready, get their garments washed, because on the third day the heavens are torn open. And it was terrifying. The mountain was covered in a thick cloud, the crashes of thunder and lightning. There's a loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And people came to the mountain, which was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. This whole mountain shook greatly. And at the sound of that trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. And in the same way, the thunder and the lightning in the throne room of God just shows us a God who's terrifying holiness and power is so untouchable that a warning must be given because a storm is coming. And the awesome power of God is behind this storm. And these storm signals will be seen throughout the time of judgment. The source of them is always from the throne of God. And God is indeed preparing a throne for judgment. Now listen, most of us don't like to talk about God in this way. We don't like to think of God as a God who judges. We prefer to look at the rainbow around the throne and the grace that it represents. We prefer to go the lightning and the thunder that comes out of the throne. Listen, God is a God of grace, but His grace only reigns 
because of righteousness. In Romans chapter 5, 21, it says, Sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen, at the cross, we see how God shows both his love for sinners and his anger against sin. And righteousness only reigns because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it was there that your sin was dealt with. It was there that Jesus Christ took and paid the ultimate price that you could be set free. So as you come to him by faith, as you put your hope in him, as you repent of your sins and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, he clothes you in righteousness. And your sin is removed by the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. But why is this important? Because a storm of judgment is coming. This world will come to an end. Jesus Christ is coming back again. And on that day, God will judge the living and the dead. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can rescue you. He is the one that you need to turn to. And there is hope and there is mercy before the storm. But you need to know Jesus. You need to give your life over to him to repent of your sins and invite him to come into your heart. But this is not just simply about being rescued. That's not what the gospel is. It's not just about us sort of escaping this life and into heaven. You are rescued for a purpose. You're called to be a worshipper. Whatever your background, whatever your gender, whatever your nationality, you have been created and called to be a worshipper. And you will worship the one who sits on the throne in splendor and in majesty. And listen, this is all made possible because he is also the one who was nailed to a Roman cross. And as the blood trickled down his face, as it oozed from his hands and feet where the nails were hammered through, Listen, it wasn't nails that held him to that cross. It was love. A love for you. And Jesus died for you that you might be saved. That you might be brought into God's presence. That you might worship him as Savior and Lord for all of eternity. And the book of Revelation is just filled with worship and praise. You remember that this book that John has been writing dictated by Jesus, has been sent to the persecuted church. These are Christians who are going through a great deal of difficulty. Many of, them, many of them will be killed for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when life is painful, when others let you down, when you get mocked because of your faith, this chapter is written for you. That will remind you that God is a God who reigns. He is the one who is the creator God, who brought everything into existence who sits in absolute power and authority. He's also, secondly, we see how the thunder and the fire and the sea and the magnificence of this throne and the creatures, they're all pointing to a holy God. God's holiness describes both his perfection and the absence of sin. And surely we must join with all of creation as we cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then thirdly, God is all-powerful. He is utterly sovereign over all of his creation. He rules over all. In fact, there's nothing that exists that hasn't come into being because of God's will and purposes. 
but utter holiness and complete sovereignty is a worrying combination. You see, when, because God is holy, he hates sin. Since he is sovereign, he has power to take action against it. But thankfully, God is also merciful. See, a God who is utterly sovereign would be a distant and an unknowable God. A God who is completely holy would be a terrifying God, but a God who is only merciful would be an unjust and compromised God. But the real God, the God who reigns, is all of these things. He is sovereign, he is holy, he is merciful. And then fourthly, he is also eternal. Mentioned three times in this paragraph, he is the He is God, the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. He lives forevermore. He is above all, and all around him are those whom he has created. And all, all of these attributes and many more make God absolutely unique. Psalm 40, the songwriter writes, Many, Lord God, are the wonders you have done, the things that you have planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Or the prophet Isaiah declares in Isaiah chapter 40, To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Listen, one day you will join with all of creation around the throne and you will worship the most wonderful, most mysterious, most creative God. And the noise of heaven will be unbelievable, loud and verbal and continuous. This is a community together, all part of this magnificent creative design to communicate with God and then to encourage one another. And as you begin to understand something of the glory of God, it should produce worship and praise. As you encounter God, it should take you to your knees in adoration and wonder. Just a glimpse of heaven should should remind you that the whole of life, the whole of everything is about bringing glory and honor and praise to to God in a way that never stops. You see, heavenly worship is ceaseless. This is hard for us to understand. We get so caught up in the here and now, in the details of life, in the, in the problems that we face. In fact, we think heaven, for many of us, just seems such a distant place. And sadly, we have a tendency to think of worship as an hour we do on a Sunday morning, or perhaps we just simply allow sin to rob us of our joy. But my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to give us a glimpse of heaven, to see God in all of his glory as he reigns, victorious over all. And as we actively worship him, just like these 24 elders, we lay our crowns, our lives, our all before our God. All of your life, all of your work, all of your play should be done for his praise and glory. And as we do, we say, you are worthy. Our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Let's stand together and worship Him.